0: We've been following Jesus of Nazareth from his Christmas morning cradle to the cross of his crucifixion. And if you've been on the journey since we started it the week after Christmas, maybe you're starting to get a feel for why this first century rabbi, the one whose life and teaching have literally transformed the world as we know it, why this man, the essence of love and grace and perfection, why he of all people would wind up on a Roman cross and maybe, maybe as you do, if you enter this story, and here's what I think. I've been talking to one of, my, one of the elders about this. We, we Every week talk about it. That if Jesus were to show up again today, and he came back in the same suffering servant form as he came the first time, I'm pretty confident that we, his people, would crucify him again. And it bothers me to say that, but I, I, I think it's probably true. Because what we're learning on our journey is that Jesus is often, well, he's not who we expect him to be. And the truth is that oftentimes he's not even who we want him to be. We've been trying to go step by step here. If we could throw that um, map up. I know it's not the best map in the world, but we we have been following kind of Jesus from, from the beginning to where we are right now. We've been all over that map from Bethlehem down here in Judea just to the left of the Dead Sea, where Jesus was born, then over to Jerusalem, which is just to the right of, uh, of Bethlehem, then all the way out. Some of you know that Jesus was taken by his mother and father, Mary and Joseph, all the way out here to Egypt, where for some amount of time, he was, he was hidden away um, from Herod, who was trying to kill, kill all the children under, under the age of two, Right. And then we followed them back up to Jesus' hometown, back up in the area of Galilee, Nazareth of Galilee. And then we followed them back down to the Dead, the dead Sea, right here uh, on the River Jordan, above the Dead Sea, where we joined up, uh, where all four of the gospel writers seem to indicate that if you want to understand the mission of Jesus, if you want to understand who he was and what he was doing, you have to pick up with the story of John the Baptist. We even followed Jesus in his testing in the desert for 40 days, right after John had baptized him. John had a message. Jesus picked up almost that, that, that message, almost word for word. And after John was arrested, it was Jesus who would walk around saying things like, Repent. Change the way you think. Because why? The kingdom of God has drawn near And people would say, well, what what should we do then? If the kingdom of God is drawn near, if that's the message that there's a new king and a new kingdom, what do we do? And John and then Jesus would say, here's what you need to do. You need to, quote, bear fruit in keeping with that change of mind. Bear fruit uh, in keeping with repentance. New king, new kingdom. New way to think, new way to live. John, when Jesus showed up at Riverside, declared that Jesus was the king he was talking about. You might remember the words exactly. He was a different kind of king. As John saw him at the riverside, he declared, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This Jesus, this king that was bringing a kingdom was going to be a different kind of king. This was clearly a reference to a sacrificial lamb, a kind of king who was going to come not demanding that you sacrifice for him, but that he would be the sacrifice for you. And what we've seen played out over the last few weeks, I I hope if you get nothing out of all these messages, is that, that Jesus had a very different kind of gospel than the one that you and I tend to think was his gospel. He announced it long before he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. That's true, right? But that was not his gospel. That was not the good news he spoke over and over about. What he and, the, and John and eventually all the other disciples would declare as good news was that this new kingdom of God had drawn near. It had broken out right here within the kingdom of this world. Now in part, one day in full, but that if you would change the way you think and then you would begin to live out that change you could experience the kingdom of God not when you die but right now and Jesus said if you get this this is really good news but as we've seen it turns out that that kingdom that kind of kingdom that Jesus came to bring that upside down inside out kind of kingdom was not really the kingdom people wanted if you've been walking along with, with me in the messages, maybe you're honest with yourself. I'm trying to be honest with myself. Most of the time, it's not, it's not in my flesh and in my unrepentant nature. It's not the kind of kingdom that I usually want. Really, what I want to do is I want to prevail in the kingdoms of the world Many of us, when we first began to follow Jesus, if you're a follower of his, you came to faith believing that if you believe in Jesus, well, now it's Jesus' role to help you prevail in the kingdom of the world so you could be hashtag blessed, as we said last week. Jesus seems to be saying, no, 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 no. This is not about me helping you Prevail in an old kingdom. What he's trying to say over and over is that kingdom is dying. It's going away. It's not going to last. That kingdom is coming to an end. The writing is, if you know the Old Testament story, the writing for that kingdom is now on the walls. Its days are numbered. What we began to look at last week is is that this new kingdom wasn't going to be exclusive to his first century audience. The kingdom that Jesus was inaugurating was going to be good news, but not just good news for his people, the Jewish people, but it was going to be good news for the whole world, Jews and Gentiles, frustratingly for them, Romans and Israelites alike, It would be good news for the religious and the rebels, the landowners and the slaves, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the lepers. For God so loved the entire world that he sent his only son. And what Jesus has been hinting at now over these these initial weeks and days of ministry if you've watched with me over these last weeks as we followed him step by step, I, I, I'm trying to, to hold as true to the story as I can, is that people were beginning to understand that Jesus was different than all of the other teachers and the rabbis. That, uh, here's what, uh, what Peter, Jesus' disciple Peter, he told it to Mark. Mark wrote it down that the people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this? It's a new teaching and with authority. It's new. It's not, like, it's not like the old teaching, and, and he's saying it. Well, Jesus is walking around Israel like he owns the place, right? As we saw last week, right before you get to the Sermon on the Mount, there's a story about Jesus' family showing up saying that he's crazy. And, and, and as we saw last week when the Sermon on the Mount is over, people are sitting around going, I don't even know what to do with this. The concept of, of crazy, this teach, the, the teaching being crazy is, is on both ends of it. Jesus told them in response to their constant questioning what is what he kept ignoring all of their religious laws and and, and he would he would do it in favor of, of the lame it it was the lame over the law it was people over protocols And at one point, they didn't understand. What are you doing? And so Jesus tried to explain it. He goes, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment. And the patch from the new isn't going to match the old. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Jesus had come to do something new and to pour it into new containers, new vessels. The stories that, that began above that were, 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 were paralytics and lepers. He was inaugurating something new, and, and guys, it wasn't just a worldview. It was a new way to relate to God and, and to relate to one another, a, a new way of believing and a new way of living. He wasn't there to fix anything or to repair something, what they called the, the law and the prophets. We, we, we know it as the Old Testament. Jesus said, and this is where we ended up last week, that he came to actually not repair all of it, but to replace all of it with its laws and ceremonies and dress codes, its, its diets and sacrifices and the priests and the temples. And as they kept seeing the way he was living, the messages uh, that he was preaching, they were getting the sense... As they heard it often repeated in in, in the famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus took this sermon everywhere he went. Here's where we left it last week. Jesus lays it out for them now about as plainly as he can. And he lays it out for you and I, because we, just like his his first audience to this talk, even though we're followers of Jesus, we often believe, this is the way that we were taught, many of us, that we relate to God through the law. Right? Right? If you were brought into faith like I was, the story was, okay, as a Christian, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to believe in Jesus. Okay, I believe in Jesus. And it means to keep the commandments. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna do my best. And what are the commandments? Well, I was only told about 10 of them, right? And to be good, so believe in Jesus, got that. Believe in the, uh, keep the 10 commandments. I think I could do that. And, and, and try to be good, and then you'll go to heaven. And Jesus is like, man, you're not even close, So, he lays it out for for his first audience, and, and I would argue our audience this way. He goes, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything's accomplished. But as we saw last week, we concluded with last week the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, the covenant that God had established with Moses. They assumed, like we do, that it Mm -hmm. is an Mm -hmm. eternal covenant. But Jesus was saying that the old covenant, this Mosaic covenant, it had a shelf life, that it had an expiration date. It had a purpose. The purpose was now fulfilled. He fulfilled it. And so you see this quite clearly. Jesus from the cross, knowing that all things were what? Just what he said. When, it would, when would the law and the prophets disappear? When everything was accomplished. Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said he came to fulfill it. He said, it's finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus had fulfilled it. He had accomplished all of the Old Testament, all of the law, all of the prophets, all of the Mosaic Covenant. And both, here's what's super interesting, both the biblical testimony and the documented history, okay? There is extra biblical proof that bears this out. All three of the synoptic gospel writers tell us the same thing. This is what a big deal this was, that when Jesus died quote, and here's how, how um, Peter related to Mark, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, some of you might know the curtain was established as part of the law and the prophets. It hung in the temple, which kept the presence of God in the holy of holy areas that the high priest was only allowed to go into once a year. God was separated from his people. Why? Because of our sin. When Jesus died, that That temple curtain is ripped wide open. It is gone. Because, friends, God is no longer in that building. Sin would no longer separate God and his people. I love this quote from New Testament scholar Greg Lanier. Here's what he said about that curtain. He said, The curtain was a metaphor for what truly blocked entrance to God's presence in Jesus' day and in ours the empty externalism of going through motions. The tearing of the curtain was a prophetic symbol that the earthly temple approached its expiration date. And here's what history, you can just go home and Google this, here's what history teaches us, that the expiration date for that temple came about 40 years later, in 70 AD, when Rome had had enough, and they tore it all down. On that day, ancient Judaism expired with it, never to be practiced again. And all of it for Jesus in his first century audience, they couldn't possibly have uh, have understood it. It would have been unthinkable that they're standing in the courts of one of the wonders of the world. To this day, we don't even know how they got some of the stones there that they built the temple on. And Jesus is going, I've come to put an end to this. Someone greater than the temple is now here. And by the way, these stones are all going to be thrown down. What does this all mean? Well, to truly get what Jesus was telling his audience, and you and I, who continue to relate to Jesus through the, or to God through the law, you have to back up a bit before you go forward. Because when Jesus says he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, Jesus is relating himself to the story of his people to the fulfillment of the story of his people, the Jews. And so to understand what he came to put an end to, you got to go back to where and when it all started. With God establishing a covenant, there are seven covenants in the Bible. A covenant is a contractual promise. The one that, that, that we'll pick up uh, with, uh, the, the rainbow is a, a covenant, for example. But the one we'll pick up with is the one that Jesus established, or excuse me, God established with their father, Abraham. It's known as the Abrahamic covenant. God had come to Abraham with a plan to restore all of humanity. And he was going to restore all of humanity through a person who would become a people. Now stick with me, okay? Some of you are going to be like, I know this. Others are going to be like, I've never heard any of this. Stick with me. Here's the Abrahamic covenant, okay? This is a big deal. God said to Abraham, this man, this just man, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That is is a big deal. That is the Abrahamic covenant. God is going to make, he's going to take this one man, and he's going to turn this one man into a people which would become a nation, and that God was going to use that nation to bless not just those people, but all people on earth. Now, if you were a church kid growing up, going to Sunday school, you know some of the story from here, right? Right? you you grew up singing songs about father abraham any of you know that song father abraham had many sons (laughs) a bunch of church people (laughs) now see i didn't grow up with any of that stuff so i had to learn all these things as an adult which by the way is much harder because you it's you look foolish putting them to cute songs when you're (laughs) older But Father Abraham, God was true to his promise. And and Abraham, along with some of his sons, miraculously wind up up becoming this nation. He he gives birth to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. and, And so the songs help you keep this stuff straight. Now, the first book of the Torah, the law and the prophets that Jesus came to fulfill, right? Um, the Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. When they spoke of the law, they were referencing the Torah. And the first book in the Torah is Genesis. It's the first book in your Old Testament. It tells the stories of these patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Some of you know the first book of the Torah ends with this now people group, which has grown into something substantial. This people group is enslaved in Egypt. Second book of the Torah, God raises up one man again. And maybe you've seen the movie, Moses leads, right, his people out of their brutal captivity and slavery into the land that God promised to give Abraham. And so, about 4,000 years ago, according to the Torah... And and the Torah was everything to Jesus' audience. According to the Torah, God calls Moses, and some of you know this, right? I don't have the time to go into it, but some of you know the background of Moses. His birth narrative, if you're a Christian, Moses' birth narrative should sound somewhat familiar. When Moses was a child, Pharaoh had ordered a mass killing of every Hebrew baby under the age of two years old. Moses escapes that by being laid in a straw-thatched basket and floated down a river. Moses grows up, and while he's leading his people through a time of testing in the desert, right, God leads his people in this time of testing to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is a moderately high mountain peak in the Sinai Peninsula. It stands there today. And this is the place where the Jews believe it was here where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, which formed the beginning of the law. The law underlies the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant is now a new covenant, a new promise between God and this people group that would become a nation. It's a promise between God and a nation. But more importantly, it wouldn't just establish this nation. It would form it. It, it, it would run it. it. It would rule it. It would create its laws and, 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 and its, its menus and its dress codes. It, it, would, it was not just a, a nation. It, it also became a religion. Some of you know it wasn't just Ten Commandments, which God so famously gave Moses on stone tablets on that mountain. In the Torah, there are 600, in the first five books, there are 613 commandments, 613 laws given to ancient Israel. Now, here's the deal. And, and, you know, I I recommended a resource to you a few weeks ago, dailyaudiobible.com. I've been listening to it every day. I am knee-deep in Leviticus right now. The Torah, it seems like, is just filled with laws But if you don't step back, you'll miss what's happening, right? God, through these laws, is creating a nation. He's creating a people group that would be so distinct from their neighbors, so unusual, morally so progressive, that they actually would stand out as a contrast community to the surrounding nations of Babylon and Egypt. There were some laws like the dietary laws and civil laws and ceremonial laws. They would all be used to set Israel apart. And then there were moral laws. Those laws were were creating different world-changing, really standards of generosity for the Jewish people and justice and care for the weak and the vulnerable. And the Mosaic Covenant said that if Israel would follow these rules... Here is the point of it. I'll show you this in a minute. If Israel would follow these rules, the whole world would be blessed. The whole world through them would see and know who God really is. Now I'm going to show you, this is the, this is the Mosaic covenant. It's a conditional covenant. It is an if-then promise. Then Moses went up to God on that mountain I just showed you. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. Right? That's one of the patriarchs. And what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and you keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Here it is. Although the whole earth is mine... You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You will be, if you obey these laws, a kingdom of priests. And what is a priest? A priest is not just a guy that wears a collar. A priest is a mediator between God and man. This nation, these people would mediate, they would reflect to the world the character of God, to all of the other nations, and all of those other nations would be blessed. Now, some of you know what happens from here. This kingdom of priests, hows it go? Bad. In fact, it's an epic, it is an all-time epic fail. If you actually go back and you look at it, the Torah has a pattern from this point forward. Moses would give laws that he got from God, and then once he gave the people the law, you know what the people immediately would do with whatever law it was that Moses gave them? They would immediately break them. And then you know what Moses would do? He would give them more laws. Okay? You stunk at that set. Here's more. You see it right at the beginning. When when Moses goes up and he gets the Ten Commandments, he comes down from the mountain. He literally no sooner gets to the bottom of the mountain, right? And and the tablet says on it, right, first couple of commandments, uh, do not worship any other god, do not have idols. He gets to the bottom of the mountain. What are the people doing? Immediately have other gods, immediately have idols. Didn't take long, right? So what happens? More laws come in. More laws result in more rebellion, which result in more laws, which results in more rebellion. Until hopefully you begin to see the point, no matter how many laws God gives to people, there is something about the nature of people where God giving them no laws or more laws is not going to help them. What's fascinating, I don't know if anybody's ever showed you this, is Moses, the lawgiver, figured it out. Before he died, he figured it out. The book of Deuteronomy, it's the last book. It's the fifth book in the Old Testament. It's the last book of the Torah. They're just, Moses is giving his dying speech. This is in chapter 30. There's 32 chapters in Deuteronomy. Moses is giving his dying speech. He's not going to be going into the promised land. And Moses says to the people, he reminds them of their history. He rehashes the laws of the covenant for them. And then he says to them, yeah, I know you're not going to keep it. I've watched you. We've been wandering around here for 40 years and, and you haven't kept it once. And he goes, I know what's going to happen. I know you're going to go into this land and I know you're going to break all of, these, all of these commands and I know you're going to be dispersed from the land. He actually tells them before they go in, I know what's coming for you. And he goes, I know you're going to suffer discipline because I've watched it over and over again. Because for you, Moses tells them, watch this. It's not a law issue for you. You can't obey the law. It's a heart issue. But he says to them, Moses says to them, that a day is coming, quote, the Lord your God will circumcise. Circumcision was uh, was, an outward, um, uh, was the outward way you would kind of reveal yourself to the world that you were part of this covenant. It was the sign of the Mosaic covenant, circumcision. The Lord your God will circumcise, not your you-know-what. Right? I'm online. Come back for the second service if you're interested. The Lord God will <laughs> The Lord God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and live. Moses was right. Israel enters the land... They fail time and time again to keep all of the commandments. They fail miserably. They're terrible witnesses to who God is. And this is when the prophets begin to arise, the books of the law and the prophets, right, that Jesus said he came to fulfill. And these prophets begin to sound just like Moses. Ezekiel comes along. He goes, if you're not going to obey the law, then God is going to have to do something because you clearly can't do it yourselves. Here's what he told the people. God said, I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you, and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Jeremiah said a day was coming when the the law would move from being this duty that you're bound to it, and you, you just can't keep it. He would move it to being an outflow of a changed heart. It would be, get this now, it would be, there would be a new covenant, not the Mosaic one. Quote, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. It will no longer be something they're carrying around on stone tablets. I will be their God and they will be my people. And so you have an entire Old Testament story, the story of the laws and the prophets, a story of the old covenant, which is that God desires to bless the whole world through a people who it turns out can't be the blessing God wants them to be because the law could not change them. It couldn't help them. The law was powerless to transform them into a kingdom of priests that the world so desperately needed. They were going to need new hearts enter jesus who ties himself to all of this and says i am the fulfillment of all of these things and now this is behind us you are no longer subject to this covenant and we haven't gotten there yet he's going to establish you'll see this in the coming weeks what we call what the prophets look forward to a new covenant The old one was finished because Jesus had finished it. He completely fulfilled all the requirements of the law in our place. So when he took the penalty of sin that we deserved, we could receive, remember Jesus comes to exchange places with us, we could receive the blessing that is his, the righteousness that he deserved. The Old Testament law it no longer relates directly to us as believers but we just cling to it. It's so interesting, right? When the Israelites, Moses came down off the mountain to lead his people into freedom, and no sooner did they get free from Egypt. Some of you know the story. What did they immediately want to do? Go back to it. We do the same thing with the law. You are free from the law. And we just keep running back to it, right? Paul would, go on, would write most of the New Testament about our our. our, our proclivity for doing this right so all of these things go away jesus right since he's the ultimate priest the ultimate temple the ultimate sacrifice all of the ceremonial and dietary and other sacrificial laws connected to ritual purity are fulfilled he he fulfilled them right? Also, Christians, right, of of all nations are now members of the people of God. And God's community no longer exists as a single nation state. Therefore, all of the civil legislation of the Old Testament is no longer appropriate either. The Old Covenant is fulfilled. You are not under the Old Covenant. It is not, Jesus, believe in Jesus, be good, obey the commandments, and you'll go to heaven. That was... that was the Old Covenant. Moses had gotten it on a mountain 4,000 years ago. And now fast forward 2,000 years. Here comes Jesus of Nazareth, who, like Moses, had been born and placed in a straw-filled manger, who, too, had fled to Egypt as a child to avoid being killed by Herod, who, like Pharaoh before him, had put an edict to place to kill all Hebrew children under the age of two. Jesus, who, like Moses, spent some time wandering and being tested in the desert, The Israelites, some of you know the story, God had not spoken in 400 years since the last prophet Malachi. 400 dark years of bondage until uh, the, um, the Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years. Now it had been another 400 years since God had spoken to his people. And here comes Jesus. And he's on another mountain. I showed it to you last week, it's the Mount of Beatitudes. And he comes to the people with a new covenant and a new law. And so you might be asking, if you were last week, well, if the law is fulfilled, like if it's gone and closed, I mean, I don't have to do anything. It's just lawlessness. Does anything, you know, can you just do anything? There's lots of heresies built up around that. Not exactly, because right after Jesus says he puts an end to the old covenant and its justification by the law, which was impossible, as we've seen, Jesus does not lower the bar, which seems insane. We couldn't, we couldn't meet the bar as it was. Jesus actually raises the bar. He deals with our real issues. Our real issues are not law issues. The real issue, church, please hear this. Being a Christian does not mean you behaviorally modify yourself which is what we make our walk with. This is the message we bring to the streets about Jesus. We, we bring the old covenant out all the time. And so Jesus says, look, I came to fulfill that one. And then he launches into a new teaching and talk about with new authority. Listen to this. He goes, you have heard it said that people, two people long ago, you shall not murder. Where was that? Ten commandments, right? Part of the stone coming down the mountain. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. It's right there in the law, Jesus. Yes, we have heard. In fact, right, you and I live by this code. If I push anybody, if I went to the Morristown Green today and I said, hey, you know, tell me about, you think, uh, do you think you're going to go to heaven? Oh, I think I'm going to go to heaven. Why do you think you're going to be a good, why do you think you're going to go to heaven? What do you think most people would tell me? I'm a good person, right? And then if I push them on, you know, are, are you a good person? Like, tell me why. Eventually, they always get, we always get to the same spot, which is what? That I haven't. I haven't murdered anybody, right? Like, eventually, that's where we all get to, right? I haven't killed anybody, so I mean, I... I. So Jesus goes, but I tell you, anybody who's angry with a brother or a sister is subject to judgment. Moves it from the stone tablet to an internal issue, a heart issue. Man looks at the outside, God looks at the heart. You can keep the law, but you can still have a black heart. And then it gets worse. He goes, anybody who says to a brother, Raka, some of you uh, in different translations, that, that was uh, an Aramaic word for idiot. It, it was like saying you're empty-headed. You're saying this person is a nothing. Anybody who, who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Don't you just love the Sermon on the Mount? It's so comforting, isn't it? That's why this guy winds up on a cross. Therefore, he actually goes on. He goes, let me apply this point for you in this new way of living. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, which is what the old covenant required, that's how they believed they got right with God. That was what the law said. If I do the certain sacrifices, then I'm going to be good with God. If you're there making that sacrifice to get yourself right with God, and you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift right there in front of the altar, and first, this is the, your priority, you go and be reconciled to them. Then come back and offer your gift. In other words, you cannot be right under this new covenant, this in this new kingdom with God, and not right with others in this new covenant jesus is about to introduce he makes you right with god through faith by grace and so in a sense says you already been made right there was nothing you could do to make yourself right i made you right i don't i don't want you to be worried about all the religious stuff right i took care of all that for you now you go get right with others It's not a law issue it's a heart issue we have bad hearts and Jesus is trying over and over to make this obvious to us he's equating murder with calling someone a name why because at their root they both they all have the same thing in common pride and arrogance and self-aggrandizement and and contempt for the for others and belittling at their core at their root, right, it's about self elevation, about my honor and my dignity. And this person is lower than, not, not better than me or, or worthy of my time or my effort or my thought. And when I elevate myself above any other person, right, I mean, I can, I can probably get away. I can justify anything. That's why Jesus is equating these issues. He's saying they're the same, it's a hard issue. See, you're trying to follow the law, but it didn't change your heart. He does it over and over and over, trying to get a people group who were quite comfortable as good religious law abiding God-fearing Jews to understand. You don't understand you're actually quite far from God because they're sitting around going, what are you talking about? We're keeping the commands. We're doing our best, and, 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 and plus we've got the sacrificial system in the temple, and, and we've got Abraham and Moses And so he says, well, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Yes, Jesus, that was right in Moses' big 10 too. It's right there on the stone stone things. And I want you to know, Jesus, I have been completely faithful to my wife. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her. Where? In his heart. Same issue as murder. Anger. It's contempt. My appetite for physical pleasure as more important than the well-being and human dignity of another person, it manifests itself in my heart and in my mind and in my fantasies. I, I'm willing, I mean, don't we do this? I'm willing to dehumanize another and make them an object to be used for my pleasure. I mean, we know where this leads, right? But it all starts in the heart. You see, we have a heart. We don't have a law problem. You don't need another law. It's not going to help you. You and I have heart problems. Over and over he goes. He does it with divorce. It's been said anybody who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. That was the majority opinion of the rabbis, that, that men, for any reason in Israel, could just initiate a divorce for any reason they decided. And they'd just separate themselves and leave their wives on the street. It was a recipe for abuse and, and oppression for women. Jesus takes a radical position. He elevates women to say that men can't treat women in any way they want. He'd later speak on the same point. He he wrote, Jesus said, Moses provided for divorce as a concession to your hard-heartedness, but it's not part of God's plan. I'm holding you to the original plan. I'm holding you liable for adultery if you divorce your faithful wife. Over and over, he keeps doing it six times. He takes the law. You have heard it said. He claims authority over it, teaches something new, but I say, and he keeps moving from the law to the heart. He does it with oaths. He said, you've heard it say, fulfill your oaths.' I say, don't even take an oath. You don't promise or swear to somebody by my name, I swear to God, or by my grandmother's grave. Why? Because you, this is what, by the way, God meant when he said, you don't take the Lord's name in vain. We try to make it a law, right? So, so we, will, we will, won't write the name God. This is what he's talking about. You don't borrow somebody else's integrity to prop up holes in your character. You don't use their good name and leverage it for you. He talks about revenge and then famously this one you've heard it said love your neighbor which was a command in the Torah right Leviticus 19 and hate your enemy that came from a debate that was popular in the streets of that day right where everybody was trying to understand and define who my neighbor is because that you know I'm just trying to obey the law right and, and if, if it's all about laws I can always create a loophole to get around it and so the debate was who my, who is my neighbor And the majority understanding from most rabbis was in Israel. Your neighbor was your fellow Israelite of whom you shared the same social class. Anybody else, you could do anything you want with. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you want to understand, you know that guy in your neighborhood that you can't stand? Next time it's raining out, just remember the character of God, right? It's raining on your neighbor's house just like it's raining on yours. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Which I had to picture Matthew going. (laughs) And if you greet your own people, what are you doing more than, than others? What are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? The answer is, uh, of course they do. Because Jesus came to fulfill the old covenant, to create for himself a very different kind of people, a distinct people, a unique people, a kingdom of priests. That this time would not fail to reflect and mediate God to other people. In fact, if you read the, the, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, do you know what John, uh, John, who got this from God, do you know what John calls the church? A kingdom of priests. They will look different. They will be distinct. But this time, not by their outward appearance or their, their strict compliance to religious law. They will be, they will be distinct. They will be unusual because I will write my law on their hearts. I will give them a new heart. Jesus concludes this quite famous sermon. He gave it over and over again. I'm guessing Peter and James and John could have given it for him. They heard it so much. In fact, they soon would. He concludes his sermon this way. How about this? So in everything, in everything, what do you think he meant by everything? Everything. Everything. Do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. See, they had been taught this in a negative form. The word on the street was do to, uh, to no one what you yourself dislike. They had been taught don't do to another what you don't want to have done to you. In other words, right? Don't bother them if you don't want them to bother you. If you have nothing nice to say, say nothing. It's pretty much what parents tell their kids about bees, right? Don't bother the bee, it won't bother you. But that requires no compassion. It requires no love. In fact, right... It doesn't require anything of anybody except just mind your own business, keep to yourself. And Jesus takes, he leverages the rhetoric of this statement, one they're familiar with, and he says, in my kingdom, in my world, if you're going to follow me, here's what this looks like here. In everything, in every circumstance, in every relationship, I want you as my followers to take the initiative. I want you to look for opportunities. I don't want you to turn and not look. I don't want you to pretend you didn't see. I want you to do for others what you would have had them do how you would have liked them to respond to you if you were in their same circumstances this is why I don't understand why everybody isn't at the Guatemala meeting at at one level or another you do not do unto others as they've done to you that is the kingdom of the world stuff that is karma that is eye for an eye tooth for a tooth that is getting even that is the old way Jesus says, if you want to understand the law and the prophets and how I came to fulfill them, here it is. All of the law and the prophets hang on that. I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it, to bring it to its end, to initiate something new. And then as we'll see next week, he walks down off the mountain and unlike the Israelites, unlike the Israelites, he immediately goes out and does everything he just said. I don't know if anybody has ever told you before, But you are not under the law. You are free. You can't possibly be good enough to be right with God. In fact, the law would say if you break one part of the law, you've broken it all. And yet we keep relating to God that way, don't we? Trying to keep him off our backs, trying to keep him happy, trying to to get him by our best efforts, by, by impressing him with our goodness to get him to do what we want. We assume when something goes wrong, it's because God's mad at us. What kind of way to live is this? Or or if something goes right, it's because God owes us. We're bold before God when we feel righteous and we hide from him when we feel defeated. All the time, never really concerned about anybody else but ourselves. I have great news for you, friends. The gospel is not that when you die... If you're good, you go to heaven. We are dead to the law. It does not apply to you. The law cannot save you. The law never could save anybody. The law simply convicts you of your heart problem. You are not under the law. You are under grace. To be under the law means you rely on the law. When you think you can win God's approval through moral, moral performance and obedience, it becomes a crushing burden that some of you have lived with your whole lives. But when you learn that Jesus fulfilled the law for you, you are secure in God's love. There is nothing you can do to earn God's love for you. It's all done. It's all over. It's bought and paid for. You can't make him love you more. You can't do anything that would make him love you less. When you get it, do you know how, can you sense freedom? Can you see how everything changes? Don't you want to begin to delight and, and resemble and know the one who's done this for you? He'll give you a new heart. He'll give you a new heart. He will place his spirit in in you. Friends, this is not good news. It's great news. And so I encourage you to rest and live in freedom. And with our freedom, don't use it to benefit yourselves. Use it to become the kingdom of priests, the mediators, the reflectors of God that your kids and your husband and your wife and your workmates in this town and this whole world are still desperately searching for. Let's stand and close this song.